there were definitely a number of times where I found myself just trying to analyze every single aspect of what I was doing different from the year before, what I wasn't doing different from the year before, and you know why there were any of these discrepancies in how I was running. And I think that was sort of the only stretch of time where I, I let myself get to that point because I, I realized that it that's an unfortunate sort of spiral to to find yourself in because the more you think about, oh man, what am I what am I doing wrong or what am I uh, what what do I need to be doing better and maybe that's why I'm not running so fast and kind of there's there's no shortage and no way to stop yourself from just finding more and more things you can fix or convince yourself need fixing even when you know maybe all is coming down to is you're spending way too much time in your own head and you're not just letting the training do what it's supposed to do and just go along for the ride because sometimes it's really all, all you need to do What's up, everyone? I'm Mario Fraioli. This is the Morning Shakeout Podcast, and my guest this week is Colin Benny. Colin is the sub-210 American marathoner that no one seems to be talking about, which is one of the reasons that I'm super excited to share this episode with all of you. He also happens to be a fellow Central Massachusetts native, and we had some fun geeking out about the unique area where we both grew up. Colin, who is 25 years old, finished third at the Marathon Project in Arizona last December, running 209.38 in just his second marathon. He made his marathon debut at last year's Olympic trials, finishing an impressive ninth in 212.14. Colin is a member of the Reebok Boston Track Club, which is based in Charlottesville, Virginia, and he's coached by Chris Fox, who guided him throughout his All-American collegiate career at Syracuse University. In this conversation, Colin told me about his childhood, looking up to his two older brothers, and playing a bunch of different sports before settling on hockey and running in high school. He also talked about his collegiate years at Syracuse, his relationship with Coach Fox, and how he and his teammates helped make one another better athletes and people. We also discussed the importance of being a team player, what the transition to professional running was like for him, moving up to the marathon, and a lot more. A big thank you to New Balance for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. They've asked me to tell you about the new Fresh Foam 1080 V11, and that's real easy for me to do because the 1080 has been the shoe that I've logged the most miles in over the past year or so. I didn't think it was possible, but I love the new 1080 V11 model even more than I did the V10, which is saying a lot. The Fresh Foam 1080 V11 is the best fitting running shoe that I own, hands down. And the Fresh Foam X cushioning feels super comfortable underneath my feet, whether I'm running five miles or 15. It's lightweight and flexible, but also responsive and durable. Basically, the perfect trainer to log most of your miles in, which is exactly what I do in them. I wear it on most of my non-workout days and for long runs too. So check out the Fresh Foam 1080 V11 on newbalance.com or at the links in the show notes and consider adding a pair to your rotation today. All right, I really enjoyed this conversation and I have a feeling that you will too. Let's get right into it with Colin Benny. Thank you. 
Colin Benny, fellow Central Massachusetts native and the second Wachusett Regional High School alum to appear on the show. It's a pleasure to welcome you to the Morning Shakeout podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, Mario. Really, really excited to be here. You know, having that Massachusetts connection is great and uh, really looking forward to talking all things running with you. Yeah, likewise. It's a lot of fun for me to talk to all of my guests, but having guys like you, Mike Smith, who was a Wachusett grad several years ahead of you, um, Nate Jenkins, Tim Ritchie, are some of my favorite conversations because we all grew up in the same area, which is a very small area, and there is a sense of pride that comes with being from central Massachusetts and seeing other folks who who grew up there and ran at local high schools go on to success so this is a real thrill for me as you said even um you know I spoke to uh Tim Ritchie briefly after my most recent race you know as he said that kind of connection to all the um all the other central mass guys and enjoying seeing success amongst ourselves is a is a pretty cool thing and so it's no, it doesn't um doesn't go too far and uh it's nice to nice to have that camaraderie that just kind of carries on even after um after you finish running. Well, let's start right there with our Central Massachusetts connection. You ran at Wachusett, which in Central Massachusetts is known as having a bit of a running dynasty on both the boys and girls sides of things. Um, Mike Smith was there in the 90s. That success continued into the early 2000s. I think you graduated like 2013 or so, if I'm not mistaken. You had some amazing teams during your time there. What was your experience like as a high school runner at Wachusett, given all of the tradition that preceded you? Um, it was, it was great. You know, I, I sort of came into the sport and had even like a, a little bit of, um, you know, sort of my own personal dynasty because both my brothers, mm-hmm. they're a, a year ahead of me in school and one's three years ahead of me. And so, you know, they, they took off for the, for the high school while I was still in middle school and they ran and were doing a lot of great things. Um, and so really just sort of inspired me to, you know, seek out some performances and in, in running myself and really kind of, you know, commit myself to the sport, just, you know, in part to try to follow in their footsteps a little bit. Um, but yeah, you know, I mean, uh, Brian Wallace was my cross country coach the entire time there. And he's, um, he's Mike Smith's stepfather. Um, and then I had Mike O'Malley and Kevin Briggs as my track coaches. Um, and you know, the coaches just, outstanding they really did a wonderful job of just kind of cultivating that success um that as you pointed out has been sort of historical at the Wachusett high school and um you know they they were as committed to seeing us improve ourselves and improve our times as um as we all were and so you know having that sort of support on top of the fact that there were so many sort of records and previous performances from other runners um to kind of strive for was exceptional and you know it's a it's a, it's a bigger high school for central massachusetts being that it's a regional school so it always helped to have um pretty large student body to pull from because it really meant that there was just that much more talent even mm-hmm. at the school to sort of drive um drive a little inter-squad competition that you know will really helped us um 
on race days. How much older than you are your two brothers? Uh, I have one who's about a year and a half older than me, but he's just a year ahead in school. And then the other one is three years older than me. So my, my freshman year at Wachusett, um, one of my brothers was a senior that year and the other one was just a sophomore. So I had one year of being in high school where I got to compete on the same team as my brothers. And that was, that was really neat. Did you guys grow up running as kids or what was your introduction to the sport? Uh, yeah. So my elementary and middle school, the, the school I went to was K through eight. Um, and the only sports that were available to, us at the school um were cross country and track in the fall basketball in the winter and then spring track in the spring or outdoor track in the spring or just um and my my oldest brother you know is kind of like the idea of participating in a sport that was you know representing the school and all that there was you know my our, our, all of our graduating classes for eighth grade were somewhere between 40 and 50 kids. So it was not a, not a very big school by any means. Um, but so, you know, it was always, um, it was always kind of a thing to do if you were athletic was to be on one of the teams, um, for the school. And there was definitely something cool about wearing, you know, with a, with a Thomas Prince warriors. That was the name of my, um, that was the name of all of our teams. Um, so it was, uh, but yeah, there's something special about kind of putting on a school uniform as opposed to just sort of some of the rec league stuff that we did. And, you know, given that the only thing that was available in the fall was cross country and track, my older brother went out for the team and, you know, it was all, um, all super exciting for my other brother and I to watch him go race and do all this fun stuff. Um, and so actually my mom then worked with the the elementary school to start a junior track program oh, for wow. just for kids under sort of like fifth grade and under, um, just to, you know, meet a few days a week and just do like fun little relay races where, you know, you get rewarded with candy and stuff like that. Um, always little prizes and all that. But so, um, so my mom did that. And so there was, that was, that was sort of like the, the, the baby steps introduction into it was just kind of seeing my older brother actually run for the, the middle school team and kind of wishing that I was able to do it. And then, you know, about probably the next year, my mom worked to, to make that happen. And then by the time I got in, um, by the time I was in sixth grade, I was able to, to run for the middle school team myself and, you know, their short mile long cross country races and, you know, everything was very small sort of within our school district, um, competition. So nothing, uh, nothing too, too fancy or, um, extravagant, but, um, but still, still a lot of fun. And, you know, it just kind of introduced me to the, um, to the sport and the enjoyment of, um, of racing people. What did you love most about running at that time as you were first getting into it? Was it the actual act of running? Was it the camaraderie with your teammates or was it the competition element of it? Um, I'd probably say it was the competition element. Um, it was, there was, there was definitely a lot to be said for the, the camaraderie of the team. And, you know, when I, when I had my brothers, 
or, you know, at least the brother who was a year ahead of me on the team with me in middle school, that was always really fun. And, you know, it was always being, being the youngest, it was always sort of my, um, Mm -hmm. it was my, my challenge to try to keep up with them and, uh, and whatever they were doing. And, you know, if they, even though I was younger, smaller, whatever, I would always try to be able to stick with them. And, and running is a nice thing because sometimes, you know, age and, size don't really matter as long as you got a little bit of uh, a little bit of stick to and so I was um so I thought I thought I thought running was a pretty cool cool place to to be for that because you know it really actually gave me more of an opportunity to to keep up with my brothers and you know never really never really beat them too much until uh sort of the later years of high school but um but it always there was always that chance on the starting line that that was going to be the day you know were the three of you pretty competitive with one another growing up in general? Um, yes, definitely competitive, but never in like, a, you know, had to be the best. I right. want to one up you and sort of rub your nose in it kind of thing. It was always at least, well, at least for me, I don't know. My brothers, they were always trying to, to rub my nose in it. Then that went way over my head. But uh, <laughs> no, I was just I was just trying to uh, I was mostly I think I was just trying to be allowed to uh, keep uh keep hanging around them and all their friends when uh when they were getting older and much cooler than i was so it was mostly just a all right you know if he's um if he's beating me every once in a while he can hang um (laughs) but no it was it was definitely just a um like friendly sibling rivalry yes exactly exactly you were also quite a hockey player in high school when did that sport first come into your life um so that was probably even even or definitely even younger than um than running was um i i'm not i'm not entirely sure i think i think i had my first sort of learn to skate lessons when i was somewhere in like the two three or four years old range uh similarly enough you know um my oldest brother was signed up for some of the the local hockey teams um and the, the rec leagues in the central mass area. And, um, my other brother and I, of course, immediately got jealous that Graham or my oldest brother was, you know, getting all this cool new hockey gear and was getting to go play this new sport. And so, you know, my mom signed us up for, um, signed us up for these learn to skate lessons. And then probably, you know, by about four years old, I was probably old enough to, um, start competing on some of the, the mosquito hockey leagues and all that. Um, and so, yeah, so it was, it was early. My, my dad played a little bit, um, recreationally when he was growing up. And so I think he just liked it. And my parents were really, really interested in kind of giving my brothers and I sort of the, uh, a really expansive, um, sort of athletic experience. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I played, played a bunch of different sports all growing up pretty much, everything um everything under the sun in in one form or another whether it was just you know out in the yard or we were actually signed up to play for some teams um and hockey hockey was one that just really stuck Uh, my brothers and i all all loved it and um all were able to you know experience a certain amount of success with it and um so yeah so that one definitely carried all the way through to the end of high school um from you know whatever about four years old did you show some talent in hockey right away? Um, I'm not entirely sure. I think it was um, 
I think I was probably a little bit advanced for my age, um, not too long after playing, but I think when I think I, once again, I definitely benefited from, you know, working to, uh, I was just playing catch up with my brothers at that point and just trying to keep up with them. And so, you know, they, I think them being of sort of a more reasonable age to, to start skating and start playing on teams, um, I think my parents were able to sort of get me into it even a little bit earlier than than most kids were. So I had I had a little bit of a head start, I think, in terms of when I got started with it. Um, and so I think that definitely helped. But um, but yeah, I, you know, it, 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 it's it's hard to tell because because um, eventually a lot of people started catching up. And uh, I mean, I, one of the biggest things I enjoyed was uh, having the extra speed and strength from running by the time I got to high school. So that was always a, that was always a nice benefit from, um, running cross country in the fall and then transferring over to hockey in the winter. Um, let's put a pin in that. I want to come back to it and discuss the interplay between those two sports specifically, but you mentioned how your parents exposed you to a wide variety of sports as a kid. When did it start to narrow and you put your focus primarily on hockey and running was it when you got to high school was it in middle school when you joined or elementary school i should say when you when you joined those first uh track and cross country teams help me frame it in terms of a timeline yeah so it definitely it it wasn't until high school um we there was a obviously a lot more flexibility in terms of sort of how um, how much of a commitment the sports in middle school were. Um, so, you know, I, I think up until, up until I got to high school, I was still playing baseball in the spring. Um, I was playing basketball in the winter in middle school for the school team. And in addition to playing hockey all, um, pretty much year round, um, running fall and spring, um, probably I think I played soccer probably up until sixth or seventh grade as well um I think as most I played sort of towards the uh towards the end of um of middle school but yeah once you got to high school um it you know it was it was just turning into you know cross country met for practice every single day after school um and for hockey as well you know we were practicing five or six days a week on top of having, or in addition to games sometimes. So once, um, once you got to high school, there's a little bit less free time or, you know, just really kind of flexibility in terms of being able to do any sort of rec sports or, you know, other teams on top of the school teams. Um, so the, yeah, the kind of, the kind of focus and specialization really did, happen until until high school and you know i think i think um i think that was always a there were there were always moments of that being like a little bit of a sad sort of thing to to move on from some of the other sports but i think once um that was all sort of of that that sort of that sort of bad or not quite as exciting feeling of you know just having 
sort of two sports to to play year round was made a lot better just by the fact that the competition level really stepped up once you got into the high school teams and the sort of commitment you had to make to the sport and the um you know kind of how how much um pressure is not the right word but you know the the team obviously the team atmosphere and team dynamic was just that much more of a uh you know everyone was that much more interested in really really taking the sport seriously whether it was uh running or hockey since hockey's a winter sport you had to sit out the indoor track season was that ever an issue for you at Wachusett, which had strong programs in the fall winter and spring um no i i was i was quite liked the um in high school i quite liked the break from from running um mentally physically i think it really was ended up being a a bit of a benefit um you know i i think looking back on sort of what my high school running career was like i definitely enjoyed um enjoyed the benefit from being probably somewhat under trained relative to some high school programs and high school runners that you see now um and i think that really has only helped me as i've you know as i continued through college and all that from you know not not quite reaching that ceiling um in terms of how how intense my training was all throughout high school for running and yeah you know i think i think the i think hockey in the winter even though you know it was a bummer to see to have to miss out on indoor track. Um, you know, I think it, I think it helped sort of make me that much more excited for spring track when it came around. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, just running is obviously such a very, you know, it's, it's, it's a very linear, just straightforward kind of movement. You know, there's not too much, um, you're not really working any sort of lateral muscles or even some of the, and some of the more explosive muscles of you when you're running some of the longer distance races, like I kind of always had, um, had focused on. So hockey being such a explosive and, um, fast moving side to side sport. Yeah, exactly. I think, I think it helps sort of allow for a you know, pretty, pretty remarkable amount of sort of strength gain in areas that you definitely either, overlook or just underuse when you're running year round at what point of your high school career did you realize or accept that the path forward was going to be in running and you weren't going to pursue hockey beyond high school um probably not until my senior year i think i I knew i was always relatively better at running than I was at hockey. Um, and I, th- I think the end of my junior year at, for outdoor track, in, um, I had a little bit of a breakout year with a few good performances. Um, and, you know, that, that summer, between junior and senior year, you know, I started getting some letters from, from colleges who were interested in me for my running. And, you know, I'd, I'd spoken to a few places 
you know, just mostly local central mass, um, programs for some hockey at that point, but it was just, you know, I think it was maybe only about two. And even then it was fairly, uh, fairly noncommittal and not nothing, nothing too, um, too extravagant, but, you know, I'm starting to hear from some of these big or bigger D one college running programs, um, kind of opened my eyes to the fact that it was going to be a, um, if I, if I wanted to play a sport in college, running was your ticket. It was like, Exactly. Yeah. How'd you decide on Syracuse? Um, so I didn't have, you know, I, I definitely got a, I got a certain amount of letters from, you know, a lot of sort of Northeast and just sort of Eastern seaboard schools, but didn't get too, too much interest, um, from programs with the exception of, of Syracuse, Georgetown, um, Providence and, a few others. I think I was, I was speaking with Dartmouth for a little while as well. Um, and I was always, I was always interested in getting a little bit further away from, uh, from central mass, just kind of, you know, spread your wings a little mm-hmm. bit, go check out something new. And so Providence was a little bit less exciting for me there. <laughs> um, and so, so, so Georgetown and Syracuse were really, um, kind of my top two choices, um, going into the whole sort of senior fall recruiting process. And it was, it, it, it was a very sort of just gut instinct feeling of when I went on my visit to Syracuse sitting down, you know, I, I got to hang out with the team for a good bit um, over the course of a weekend and then sitting down and talking with coach Fox and coach bell just there was, there was something there that really just resonated with me, um, in terms of sort of their outlook on running, um, and just kind of, you know, their, their commitment to sort of building a really solid team culture that, you know, works to kind of improve everyone together. Um, and uh, I think the emphasis on cross country and, you know, the sort of team dynamic that's involved with cross country and obviously, you know, a winning culture for conference championships that they had already kind of established, um, at Syracuse at that point was just very, very attractive to me. Um, and yeah, I, I you know, there were just, there were, there were just something that yeah, I could just tell that I was very much bought into how, coach Fox and coach bell viewed training and viewed competing and viewed sort of team culture building pretty much within the, the first, um, I don't know, 20 minutes after I sat down with them and had a, had a really good, good talk about our future. Was that near the top of your priority list because of the culture and tradition that you were a part of at Wachusett? I think so. I think, you know, it was always, I think getting to high school, it was, it was really beneficial to, you know, go back to being, uh, a little fish in a big pond. Mm -hmm. Um, it was always just that much more sort of enticing to feel as though there was a lot more room to grow and, 
you know, not really having any sort of boundaries set just based on, you know, what everyone else had done before, because, you know, coming into Syracuse, there were so many, there were so many good guys who had already run there and graduated by the time I got in. And then, you know, had, uh, Martin Hacker just two years in front of me, you know, he was already starting to kind of light up the, um, light up the Syracuse scene and was kind of on his way to becoming the runner he is now. And so, you know, it kind of established a certain, you know, lack of limits in terms of what could happen if I was to, to go there. Um, and, you know, just, I think, I think at times, you know, I've sort of found, found myself looking for, role models similar to, to my brothers in that, you know, there were, there were people who I wanted to style myself off in life and then in athletics as well. And, you know, there was, there was no, there was no, there was no shortage of that kind of person on the, on the Syracuse team. Um, and it just, I think that really helped me feel comfortable knowing that that was going to be the spot that I wanted to go because I knew that, you know, even if maybe I was not quite living up to some of the running potential I felt I had that these guys I was surrounding myself with were going to help me, you know, become a better person outside of the, outside of the track and cross country course as well. I want to be careful to skip over too much, but right now you are one of the top marathoners in the United States. You were ninth at the Olympic trials last year. You just ran 209.38 for third at the marathon project. But looking back to your senior year at Wachusett, once you committed to Syracuse, you knew you were going to run at a D1 level. How were you thinking about your running career at that point? Was it all focused on just getting to college and having the best possible career that you could, or were you already starting to have some professional dreams at that point? Um, at that point, it was definitely more just getting to college and shooting for the best career I could have there. Um, you know, I, I am somewhat embarrassed to admit it, but I was not, um, I was not the most informed high school runner. <laughs> so, you know, even, even, um, even at that point, you know, I probably wouldn't have, uh, wouldn't have been able to tell you too much about any sort of like professional running, you know, other than of course, you know, watching marathons and the Olympics and stuff like that. But I definitely didn't have quite the same sort of knowledge base that, um, kind of, I wish I did. I really was kind of going in blind in terms of what could potentially come from, you know, a really, really good or successful college career in terms of turning it into an actual professional career. Um, it's probably better that you didn't actually <laughs> looking back. I mean, because yeah. you may have, you may have approached it differently had you known, you know, what was possible. And I don't want to project anything onto yourself, but put this self-induced pressure to do that once you graduated. Yeah, no, I totally, I totally agree. It, um, I, I think it, it allowed me to really just kind of enjoy enjoy running for what it was at that time uh, a good deal more and not you know not get too caught up in planning so far down the line because i mean you know shoot it's running running is 
so tough sometimes to have any sort of predictive ability in terms of, you know, what you're going to be able to do on a certain day and, you know, trying to predict what you're going to be able to do five years down the line is just impossible. Um, so yeah, so no, I, I, I agree. I think it was a, um, I think it was a bit of a, a blessing to not have that sort of not go, not go too far down the line in terms of what I was, I was thinking about going into college and, you know, all these guys too, you know, the, some of the times that they were running in terms of five K's and the fact that, you know, I was struggling to comprehend what it was even going to be like to race a 10 K at that point definitely lent itself to, um, to me thinking, all right, you know, Hey, I'll be top seven by my, uh, by my, fourth or fifth year at Syracuse and I'll uh, consider that a pretty pretty successful career. How was the transition to Syracuse from Wachusett? And what I mean specifically was going from this more diversified high school athletic background where you played hockey uh, between running seasons to now being on a D1 program. You're a scholarship athlete, one of the best programs in the country. Hockey's out of the picture and you are there to run yeah it was it was different it took a little bit of time to get used to it for sure um i think i'd say at the start you know being that it was cross-country season and all that i was i was still sort of in the high school Mm -hmm. um you know, I had similar high school minds. Oh, you know, like it's fall. Of course, it's cross country season. There's nothing different here. Obviously, the level of um, commitment certainly went way up in terms of you know the quality of the workouts that I was doing and sort of what was expected of all of us on the team. Um, and it probably, it definitely sunk in a little bit more once you know winter came around. It was like, oh, like okay, that's right. I don't have a break. You know, I get, I got 10 days off, uh, between cross country season and before getting right back into shape for, for indoor track. Um, but I, I, I quite enjoyed it. You know, as I, as I said, I, th- I think, um, the, the culture that coach Fox and coach bell and coach Smith all created at Syracuse was, um, was one where you really did just want to, you wanted to live up to, you know, what their expectations of you were and sort of what ultimately, you know, your own expectations of yourself kind of became. Um, and I, I enjoyed as well the, that first year indoor track was totally new to me. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of a fun, uh, fun, fun thing to start running around on a small, a little oval like that was, um, a new kind of rush. It was like, Oh shoot, I can, you know, done a lap in about 30 seconds that's kind of nice that's kind of fun it was a total change of pace and you know got to run all these um got to run at bu and eventually i got to run at reggie lewis and you know i i remember you know obviously being from massachusetts just about every other weekend if not every weekend it felt like our our high school team was heading into boston to run at reggie lewis so um so it's kind of cool to finally get to to see what what that was all about um but it was, um, you know, I think, I think being a, a freshman, you know, first, first time living by myself, heading out from home, um, at Syracuse, obviously I didn't, I didn't fully understand exactly what it was going to take to really be a competitive collegiate athlete. Um, cause you know, you get, 
get there and it's like, oh, I can stay up however late I want. I'm in college. This is great. I don't have to worry too much. And you got the dining hall. You got all the food in the world in front of you. You can eat whatever you want, do whatever you want. You know, I don't have to worry too much about anything. Um, and, on you know, unfortunately, fortunately, whatever um, your your views on it are, running is definitely a, a sport that requires a, a little bit more sort of strictness in your in your day-to-day life than um some other things and so you know it it took definitely took over well into my sophomore year um to really kind of figure out from the older guys like oh that's right you know this is what this is what a running lifestyle looks like this is the kind of you know care care of your body and care for yourself you got to take on top of um you know, really focusing in on wanting to, to, to be a good runner and showing up on workout days. Cause it's not, it's not just as easy as showing up at practice, you know, Tuesdays and Fridays to run hard in these workouts. You actually got to live the lifestyle. Be, exactly. What was the biggest light bulb that went off for you in college as an athlete or just as a person? Um, that's a that's a good question. I I'd have to say there was there was a moment. I never I don't really recall any particular moments. You know, I was I was sort of I sort of baby stepped my way into living a pretty good runner lifestyle over the course of those first first two years. You know, just start, starting to figure out what it was like to you know have to wake up in the morning before class to go for a short double with practice in the afternoon you know I sort of introduced that slowly at the end of my freshman year and then you know all all the other stuff like oh, I'll go to bed at a good time um eat the right things all that sort of stuff over the course of sophomore year and everything but probably I, I, I want to say my junior year was sort of, it sort of started being a little bit more my 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 breakout in terms of of running and racing and um there was one race in Boston where I, it was for, it was cross country. And I remember, you know, Marty and Justin Knight, my other teammate at Syracuse, who were always, those are always the guys who were kicking my butt up and down the course and around the track. Um, I, you know, they, they made a move in this one cross country race. And at that point, I was kind of just like, ah, shoot, you know, like if I'm top five guy for Syracuse, I'm going to be thrilled. Um, is this a Franklin park and, uh, Franklin park. Yep. Um, and yeah, they just went, you know, they went for the, they made this move and I just kind of decided I was going to shut my brain off for a little while and, uh, just see if I could go with it and, um, trust the fact that, you know, they hadn't dropped me in any workouts at that point. Um, and trust the fact that, you know, coach Fox had gotten me to a really good place in my training. And, you know, I think, I think that was just that I think that was a, a serious light bulb moment just in terms of understanding that running and all this training was, you know, it doesn't even if you do have that one moment. So that light bulb moment, as you said, of like realizing, oh, shoot, like I'm in shape. I can run fast now. Um, it takes a while. Right. It take, takes it. It takes a long time. It takes a, It takes a lot of trust in in yourself and, you know, the classic trust the process sort of mentality and um and i think that that moment just was you know the culmination of 
me slowly building into doing what it took to 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 live um you know a, a runner lifestyle and really buy into everything that it took to to be a, a Syracuse runner um and you know ever since then it's kind of I think it just kind of stuck with me that you know mm. can't expect can't expect things to just come instantaneously in this sport and um and, you know I think it just carries over to a good portion of the rest of my life too where just you know if it's uh if it's not hard it's not worth doing and it takes a while to sort of reach these points of you know sort of achievement that everybody wants um and and yeah i think um and i think it just sort of reaffirmed my kind of constant um sort of seeking out for these role models who i want to keep up with you know whether it's actually keeping up with them in races um or just in terms of sort of their levels of commitment and or you know approaches to to life and running and you know obviously i've been i've been lucky enough where i'm still using marty and justin as my role models at this point for all things running and uh and kind of life in general just because you know i'm still training with both of them you know i see i've had um a few couple month long training blocks with marty over the the our buildups to our last few marathons and i see justin about five times a week for uh for practice down here in charlottesville so it's um pretty pretty fortunate to have um have guys like that who are who are still around and i can still use to to really sort of give me the motivation to improve let me flip that on you what do you think those guys are taking away from you because you've been as constant present in their life as they've been in yours and i'm sure there's got to be something there that's helped propel them to the high level that they're competing and living at um that is that's an excellent question i um i think they probably just don't want to get beat by a little scrub from central mass uh (laughs) no uh yeah no i think um I mean, I think we've all just, you know, I I think sort of similarly, they, you know, they, they might have, might be able to just see sort of a little bit more of the, the long-term progress that I've had. I mean, Justin was obviously a unbelievable high school talent sort of out of nowhere coming out of, coming off the basketball court, basically, um, and just starting to run and then, you know, being sort of national caliber and, um, obviously took him a little bit of time to grow in college to really become top, top notch. And even now sort of in the professional, um, running scene, he's realizing that it does take a little bit of time. Um, and so I think, you know, I, I, I tend to my, tend to think of myself as a, something, something of a calming presence or just, you know, a little bit of a, um, have a, have a little more, a little less emotional head on my shoulders when it comes to, some stuff when you know you don't want to get too caught up in in the heat of the moment with running or all that or kicking yourself as to why it's not just uh you know why you can't run as fast as someone even if you beat them before and just you know i think i think for justin especially you know it's been been good to see him and train with him for a while and just get to um kind of reaffirm his 
confidence in himself going forward. Um, even if it does, you know, it doesn't come quite as immediately to him as it has in the past. Um, but yeah, mostly, mostly I'm just the watch guy. I think they just like using me for, uh, for taking splits on, uh, all these workouts. Well, not bad for a watch guy if you're a 209-38 marathon. Yeah. <laughs> Have you always yeah. been a pretty calm, stoic, level-headed guy? Um, I, th- I think so. You know, it's at least at least in terms of um, you know being being sort of in in team environments and all that. You know, I, I think I think I, as everybody does at times, gets a little get everyone can get a little emotional and um, a little caught up in in sort of some passionate out outbursts. Um, but I, I, I think, um, I think I've always enjoyed filling a little bit of the role on the team of just not, not being that guy and being the guy that's got to tries to keep as level of a head as possible, um, going into things and just, you know, people need a vent, they can vent and I'll agree with them and then just, um, help them pick up the pieces a little bit and, and move forward. And I just, I don't know if I, I, I just, uh, I don't think I have the, the ability to overthink things too much at this point. I think I got to just go in as blank slate as possible. If I'm going to survive any of these races. Have you ever had periods of your life, whether as an athlete or just in general, that you've had a tendency to overthink things and you couldn't get out of your own head or have you been pretty good at just going with the flow and adjusting to whatever the situation might be? Uh, no, yeah, absolutely. I think it's hard, you know, running, especially it's, 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 it's very difficult at times, I think to, to not overthink things. Um, I know I was probably, it's probably my fourth year, my senior year at Syracuse, or I guess my, you know, yeah, fourth fourth year at Syracuse, you know, I had I'd run really well the year before, and just you know, things just weren't clicking nearly as well um, as they had been, and you know, there were definitely definitely a number of times where I found myself just trying to analyze every single aspect of you know what I was doing different from the year before, what I wasn't doing different from the year before. And, you know, why there were any of these, you know, discrepancies in how I was running. Um, and I think think that was sort of the only stretch of time where I, I let myself get to that point because I, I realized that it definitely um, it just it's a it's a unfortunate sort of spiral to to find yourself in, because the more you think about, oh, man, what am I what am I doing wrong or what am I uh what, what do I need to be doing better? And, you know, maybe that's why I'm not running so fast and, you know, kind of, there's, there's no shortage and no way to stop, um, stop yourself from just finding more and more things you can fix or convince yourself need fixing. Even when, you know, maybe all it's coming down to is you're spending way too much time in your own head and you're not just letting the, uh, letting the training do what it's supposed to do and just go along for the ride because sometimes it's really all, all you need to do. I want to go back to your relationship with Marty and Justin. They were ahead of you at 
Syracuse in terms of class year, but you were also just trying to keep up with them, as you described earlier, on the cross-country course, on the track. You're all part of the Reebok Boston Track Club now, which I want to get into in more detail here in a bit. Marty was ahead of you at the marathon trials. He was a little ahead of you at the marathon project. Do you feel like you've been in those guys' shadow for a while? Um, not. I mean, I guess, I guess technically, yes, but never in like a, never in like a bad way, not in like a feeling like I'm overlooked, at least not in, in anything that, that really matters. Um, you know, I mean, it's no, there's no sort of no level of favoritism or anything like that that goes on in terms of our training, you know, coach Fox will coach all, all the time at Syracuse, coach Fox and coach bell. They cared as much about the you know guys at the the back of the group as they did at the front um so any any level of you know being in um being in marty or justin's shadow just comes you know is entirely just reflected on the on the results pages and all that you know i think we're all um we all do a really good job of sort of appreciating each other for everything mm-hmm. that we've done and celebrating all the accomplishments we've you know had individually you know in the same races or in different races or whatever um and even on you know some of our bad days you know you get to find some solace in the fact that more often than not for me anyway more often than not one of those guys if not both of them would always go out and run pretty much lights out um so, so no, I think, and I think, you know, I, I think I was always, was always, and am always able to just find a great deal of excitement from their successes because knowing, knowing that I've trained with them for as long as I've trained with them for, um, and the fact that I, I'm lucky enough to have the opportunity to continue training with them gives me the you know, it sort of lays, lays the foundation for feeling like it's just a, it's just a matter of time before I close the gap a little bit, or mm-hmm. at minimum I catch up to where they are now in front of me, you know, who, who knows, maybe Marty's going to be a 207 guy next year and, uh, I'll, I'll have to find my way down to 208 and still be a little bit behind him. But, um, but, you know, I think, I think, um, I think that it's, just really nice to have a few guys who you know i i know i'm doing the same stuff as them and and know that you know even if it's not right now that i'm at that point that if i keep if i keep going keep working hard keep just trying to be more like them then uh then eventually i'll be pretty much in the same spot as them on the race i love that i really appreciate that perspective and i imagine you just keep each other honest and accountable throughout especially since you guys have been training and racing together for so long yeah absolutely absolutely i mean i pretty much um obviously obviously in both my marathons um marty had run marty had one marathon under his belt before we ran olympic trials last february um and you know it was always as as shown by his performances in pretty much every race he's run, you know he's just he's just one of the smartest racers I know. Um, and so it's been 
awesome to yeah you know, even even if he doesn't know it you know i'm always i've always kind of got eyes on him in the race and always paying a little bit of attention to to what he's doing and kind of gauging myself off of um off of him and so so yeah so even if he even if he doesn't know it i'm uh oh i bet he knows to, yeah <laughs> <laughs> talk to me a bit about your relationship with coach chris fox you mentioned how he brought you to syracuse when you graduated from wachusett coached you throughout your collegiate career and is still coaching you now as a member of the Reebok Boston track club. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's at this point coming up on almost uh seven and a half, eight years of having him as my coach. And, um, you know, I, I sort of alluded to the fact that, you know, and kind of my, my, my visit to Syracuse just found a, a certain amount of comfort and, really belief in in sort of his approach to um to to running and training and all things related to you know what i was hoping to do and um it didn't i don't think it took long after getting to syracuse and really you know getting to know him better and know his training and coaching style that it was um i was just i was fully bought in um you know, and, and he just he, he absolutely loves to see people he cares about succeed. And, you know, he will take an unreasonable amount of time out of his day to, you know, help others get to the point that they want to be at in terms of running um, and just, you know, life in general. I know he, he, he offers up. um he offers up training to a bunch of different people that he knows a little bit or a lot of bit just outside of, um, the Reebok Boston track club down here. I know. And even at Syracuse, you know, I, my, my older, one of my older brothers, um, the one who's just a year ahead of me got into marathon training back when he was in college. And at the time, you know, I didn't, I didn't know anything about marathon training. So I asked coach Fox if he could, you know, give me like two or four workouts that I could send my brother and just have him do them, you know, knowing that they were coming from a pretty good, um, or very, very solid and reliable source in coach Fox and coach Fox was just like, Oh yeah, just, um, like send him my number and just, uh, just have him text me. And sure enough, coach Fox gave my brother, um, marathon training for, probably the better part of two, two and a half years. Um, just, you know, texting him a few times a week, giving him workouts, checking in with him, seeing how he was doing. Um, and you know, that was, I, he probably at that point he had probably met my brother twice or something like that. You know, it's not a, it's just his passion for the sport is pretty much limitless. Um, I mean, he's been in it since he was in middle school and high school. Um, and I don't think has much in the way of, uh, intentions of getting out anytime soon. So it's, um, you know, I think, I think he loves being part of people finding success in running and everything else. And, you know, obviously, as I said, just, it, it did not take long for me to sort of benefit greatly from the fact that I was, you know, I was one of his guys and he was, showing that commitment to me and um it it was impossible not to want to reciprocate and 
and, you know, really feel like I was doing and giving everything I could to, uh, to sort of be worthy of that level of, um, commitment to sort of helping me improve. How has your relationship with him evolved over the past seven and a half, eight years, particularly the last few since you graduated from Syracuse and turned professional? Um, honestly, I, I feel like not too much. I feel like, you know, we've been, we've been in a pretty, I mean, we, I think, you know, we've definitely gotten closer and, you know, we've, um, we probably talked about just about everything there is to talk about at this point. Um, but you know, there's, there wasn't really too much. I think, I think coach Fox always, when we were at Syracuse kind of, you know, you know, he, he, he suggested that sort of the best mindset to take as even collegiate athletes was to sort of, you know, think of yourself as being a professional runner, you know, thinking that like that was, you know, uh, something that you really had to devote yourself to if you wanted to succeed in it. So, um, so, you know, the transition to, to actually being a professional runner, runner under coach Fox, didn't really change too much of that you know he hasn't he hasn't had to we haven't had to sit down and have a talk about you know the fact that you know we're another step up and we have to be a little more committed to everything at this point you know it was just just another like all right well we're doing it and we're doing it somewhere else now and we're mm-hmm. just gonna keep uh keep kind of approaching this from the same way and you know maybe start changing up what you're racing and all that. And obviously, you know, getting out of college and getting into the pro scene, it means more road races and ultimately, um, kind of attacking the marathon with some pretty, uh, pretty serious intensity. Um, but you know, I, th- I, I think, um, I think, you know, if anything, I think the, the trust between us has just gotten even stronger. Um, you know, I, I think he's, always been but even more now you know sort of responsive to any moments of doubt in terms of you know and sort of me or from from me regarding how i'm feeling about something or anything like that and um and you know likewise i find myself just fully buying in and if he uh when he tells me what the the plan is for training and racing and what what he thinks is going to be the the most sensical route to take. And I'm, uh, I'm all in. I don't, you know, I don't find myself asking too many questions because at this point I feel like he is, um, he's steered me very much in the right direction and it's, uh, not a, uh, probably not in my best interest to, to ask too many questions or try to, uh, try to change what he's thinking. How about the evolution of your training itself over the past eight years as you've gotten older, you've gotten more mature, but also as your focus has shifted from cross country, 5K, 10K on the track in college to, as you just mentioned, road races and half marathons and marathons specifically? Yeah. um, So I think sort of Coach Fox's like general approach to a lot of what I've done has stayed the same i think you know he's just sort of seen seen who i am as an athlete and just realized that a good deal of what i benefit from is just sort of a lot more strength work and maybe less you know fast track workouts and stuff like that and um you know a little bit more um emphasis on 
sort of longer, slower stuff, um, which lent itself very well to transitioning to marathon training, which, you know, obviously just, you do have to just step up the mileage and kind of crank it up a little bit, um, in terms of just how much you're running, um, while still running, you know, pretty darn fast for these workouts. Um, but so, so, I mean, down, obviously we're, we're in Charlottesville for Charlottesville, Virginia for our, our group. And, um, and, you know, there's just no shortage of hills and dirt roads around town here. Um, and so, you know, we, Coach Fox always had it. He, he, there were a few spots that were really, really nice and hilly up in, um, up in Syracuse that we spent a lot of time training on when I was in school. And, you know, he really just brought that down to Charlottesville. And so everything, you know, everything's a little bit different because obviously we're not in the same roads, but, um, the general idea behind just getting like seriously strong and knowing that the speed and some of that, you know, the finishing kick and all that sort of stuff that you're going to need is very much achievable. If you're just strong as heck and just, you know, the kind of guy who really, you know, if he tells you, tells you to run, um, just, I don't know, you can, you, you can run up and over whatever mountain he, uh, he points you to and, um, know that that's kind of, that's, that's sort of where you're going to get a lot of your, your benefit from. Um, and so, you know, maybe the, uh, maybe everything's gotten a little bit longer and a little bit, a little bit speedier just as we've gotten older and a little bit stronger. Um, but for the most part, you know, it's been, um, I think I've benefited well from just a, a pretty, pretty obvious level of consistency in terms mm-hmm. of what we've done for, for our training for the last while. Take me back to your senior year at Syracuse. How are you thinking about the future at that point, both in terms of, of running and other stuff, um, you know, not non running career pursuits. If you, if you had any. Yeah, so I, I I was definitely still very much interested in being involved in the sport one way or another. Um, you know, if if it wasn't going to work out and I wasn't going to find a way to keep running myself, you know, I was interested in, you know, pursuing some amount of coaching or really just any kind of work that was going to be was going to allow me to to still be part of um, of the running world. I mean, there's that over, especially over my five years at Syracuse, it really just, um, just couldn't help, but falling more in love with the sport. And, you know, just, you spend that much time around, um, around something. Of course, you're going to have a pretty remarkable level of, um, intimacy with it and really kind of interest in just continuing to have it be part of your day to day life. And now i more importantly too, seeing, seeing coach Fox, coach Bell and coach Smith and, you know, what sort of what their lives were like and how much enjoyment they got out of having a career in the sport on the coaching side. I, you know, I felt that even if I wasn't running, there was a lot of, you know, I had, I had a lot of interest in sort of getting to that point and, you know, still, still deriving a great deal of enjoyment from 
people running fast, even if I wasn't the one who was actually running fast. Um, and then, you know, just everything ended up working out well, um, in terms of coach Fox deciding to, to move on from Syracuse, um, and start a new group. And I, I think I, I benefited greatly sort of from the timing of that. And, um, the fact that, you know, he was, he was keen on having, um, a certain number of guys and women join him as he started the group and, um, and being given the opportunity to, to be part of the team was pretty, pretty spectacular. And, you know, it was a, it was pretty much a no brainer for me, honestly, when he, um, when we first talked about it and he offered me a spot, it was, I, you know, I think I accepted with just about no hesitation just cause it seemed like there was, um, there was no way to, no way that it was going to be a bad decision in my mind. Why Charlottesville, Virginia? Can you give me any insight into why the group is based there? Yeah. Um, so obviously university of Virginia is down here and they were an ACC school as well. So we competed against them a, a good deal when I was at Syracuse with coach Fox. And you know, I think, I think the coaches were always pretty enamored with the area. Um, really liked the sort of just environment and, um, all the different opportunities for, for good running around town. Um, and on top of it, you know, it's a heck of a lot better weather than we have up in Syracuse, especially in the winter time. So there was always that was always a, a great benefit too. Um, and also, uh, Coach Fox originally he, he's originally from West Virginia. Okay. And maybe just I don't know about probably two two and a half hours up eighty one from Charlottesville. Um, so he kind of knows the area. He actually he did i think he spent one semester at uva his freshman year when he was running um and so you know he obviously at one point in his life had uh, a good deal of interest in in running here himself and i think he just liked sort of the the combination of everything that involved you know pretty pretty great climate for running in terms of weather and temperature year round, you know, you can, can really make it work. You don't have to worry about trying to leave, leave town for any stretch of time because, you know, it gets too cold or it gets like way too hot or humid. Um, so that was, that was pretty, I think he liked this sort of continuity and the opportunity to, to be able to just be in one spot 12 months out of the year and get some good training in. Um, in addition to just, you know, sort of the, the fact that we're nestled up next to a bunch of mountains and hills and, um, it was gonna be pretty good terrain for, for running hard and getting strong with workouts over that sort of stuff. Um, and then just a little bit of his own familiarity with the area and the fact that, you know, I think, I think I was, I probably came down here for, I think twice for cross country and maybe twice for track during my time at Syracuse and you know sure sure enough every single time we were down here for one of those meets couldn't help but just kind of go oh man Charlottesville's a Charlottesville's a really nice town like I could totally I'd be happy to uh to spend a little more time here um so it's just it's a nice it's a nice place and it's um 
nice facilities, obviously, with UVA in town and a few of the high schools around here have really, really nice tracks as well. So there's really no shortage of um, of running opportunities for us down here. I know we can't get into contract details, but have you been able to make it work down there as a full-time professional runner or did you have to supplement it with working part-time? Yeah, no, I, um, um, I've, I've been able to, to, I was lucky enough to be able to make it work as being a, a sort of a full-time, full-time runner, um, and not have to, have to worry too much about working on the side. Um, uh, but I it did, you know, it's obviously sort of going back to some of our earlier conversation about overthinking, obviously, you know, when there's, when there's no school, no work, and all you're doing is running. If you're, if you don't have anything else going on, you have, um, there's a lot more hours in the day where you can just sit around thinking about running and, uh, what else you could be doing, should be doing whatever in terms of, um, in terms of how you can be, uh, you know, really kind of improve yourself. And sometimes, sometimes that's helpful to really, you know, have that opportunity and sometimes not so much. Um, so I actually, you know, there's plenty of, uh, plenty of side hustles out there nowadays. And so my, um, my go-to is there's, is I, um, I walk dogs. So a few hours, a few hours a day in the middle of the day, I go out and have a few, a few clients around town whose, um, whose dogs I walk for, um, I love it for some extra, extra entertainment, you know, don't have a dog of my own. Gives me a, gives me a good opportunity to spend some time with them, with some dogs and make a little money on the side. And I imagine getting to know some people in the community as well. Yes, exactly. Did you have dogs growing up? I did, yes. You hope to have one of your own someday? Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. My uh benefited greatly and most of um most of my teammates ended up getting quarantine dogs, as a lot of people <laughs> did. So we've had uh, no shortage of excitement in that um in that realm. When did you and Coach Fox start talking about moving up in distance specifically to the marathon? The trials last year, almost exactly a year ago now, was your debut at the distance, and you've run another one since then, and both have gone pretty well by all accounts. Yeah. Um, honestly, I, it was pretty much as soon as we – as soon, as soon as you know we i agreed to to come down here um the first time coach fox and i sat down and were really talking about sort of what the plans were and um what he sort of thought my future was um in running it pretty much immediately jumped to marathon was where we were gonna find a, a certain amount of success eventually um you know he, he was very very good and smart about you know taking our time sort of easing into it. Um, now I ran, I ran the Houston half marathon at the beginning of 2019. And that was used that as, uh, to get a qualifier for the Olympic trials and the marathon, you know, even that was over a year before the marathon. And then, you know, the build up to racing 13 miles was already kind of a jump from only really ever having done 10 Ks in college and after that, you know, Coach Fox was like, all right, well, we're not going to, you know, we're not going to think about half marathon. We're not going to think about marathon for a while in terms of what we're doing training wise. You know, there's no, no sense in 
focusing too very hard on it at this point when it's still over a year away. So that was on the back burner. Just did a bunch of road races, um, a bunch of really good workouts. You know, I had probably a, a good 12 month stretch of, of, um, of racing and training after, you know, in early 2019 that lent itself really well to sort of fall of 2019 into sort of that build up to the trials. Um, just being, you know, that, that, that ready, ready for the jump to what it was going to take to be a marathoner at that point, even though, you know, while it was always kind of in the back of our mind that that's where, that's the direction we were headed in. Um, there was never really too much emphasis on kind of marathon specific training when that wasn't in the immediate future. What were your expectations and hopes heading into last year's Olympic trials? Um, hopes top three would have been amazing. <laughs> I think, uh, I think there's no getting around that, you know, the, you can't, can't find yourself lining up on a line for a race like that and not having some, uh, some dreams, um, of, of, you know, being a guy who crosses the finish line and earns a spot on the Olympic team. Um, so whether or not that was in any, like anything close to an expectation might be a bit of an exaggeration. Um, but it was definitely a hope, um, expectation that, you know, it was just, I was feeling really good. I felt like Coach Fox had really gotten Marty and I both through a good, you know, three months of really good training pretty much from the beginning of December all the way through the race. Um, you know, neither one of us really had anything significant in the that could remotely resemble an off day in terms of our training no injuries, which is obviously a pretty remarkable thing to, to have. And, you know, that just echoes a long way and sort of helping the consistency in the build towards a marathon. Um, so yeah, so I was just, you know, feeling, feeling really, um, really confident that we had done a lot of good solid work and that, you know, there probably weren't too many guys out there in the race who were, in the same spot. Um, and you know, I think I, 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 I knew, I knew I had a lot to learn when it came to racing marathons. Cause obviously it's just a whole different beast compared to just about anything else you're going to do in the running world. Um, but I was, I was very, very happy with the spot I was in going into the race and knowing that might be a little bit of a learning experience might not be fully fully ready for what exactly um it feels like to hit the wall in a marathon but i was um i really couldn't have asked for for that much of a better build up to my first marathon and obviously couldn't have asked for a better better person to be able to key off of in the race than marty and you know be able to use him and utilize him as a as a resource and you know a really good kind of role model in terms of what kind of approach I should take to, um, to smart racing. The race itself, did anything catch you by surprise? Um, cause that's about, it was, uh, that's, that's like, I mean, that's almost two hours longer than you race a 10 K it's twice as long as your 
longest race before that, I believe, which was half marathon. Like, was it strange in that sense? Like, how do I race for this long? Yes, definitely. Definitely was at first. Um, you know, I think at, at that point from, from Marty, from coach Fox and from, uh, from one of, one of my other teammates, um, Tim Young, who runs for the Reebok Boston track club too. Um, you know, they had, they had sort of told me and sort of reminded me that it was, you know, very, very important to just kind of lean into the fact that you kind of want to get through your first 20 miles feeling as though you haven't done too much. And, you know, there's like, there's a certain amount of just going with the flow and running the race without thinking of it as a race. Um, for just about as long as you possibly can. And I was kind of thinking, that's crazy. You know, like it's, I'm, we're racing. We gotta, we gotta be, I gotta be ready to go right from the gun. And then sure enough, you kind of get into it. And there is, you know, there's almost an hour and 40 minutes of just sort of finding your rhythm and, and, and not thinking too much about anything other than the fact that, you know, all right, I'm right where I need to be. You know, I'm, I'm with the front group, and uh, and I'll check back in at uh, at mile 20 and, and let you know how I'm feeling then, because that's really kind of the that's where that's where it really starts. Um, and so it was different. That was definitely you know different because obviously every race, you know, kind of kind of want to find a nice rhythm and not feel like you're working too very hard until till the end. But having to do it for you know 20 miles was a was a whole new thing. Um, but you know, I did good, good training and a lot of a lot of good work and good planning on Coach Fox's part. Definitely made that feel a little more natural than um, than I was anticipating going into the race. You've mentioned over the course of this conversation how you've responded really well to those longer types of workouts, the things that that give you strength, and you know the result that you've had, the results that you've had in the marathon have indicated that that's probably where you're going to be strongest. So coming out of the trials, having had such a solid race, putting up an incredible result, finishing in the top 10 in your debut, were you hooked on the marathon right after that? Did you see the light that this is where your future is probably going to lie in competitive running? Uh, I, I'd say yes. I'd say yes. You know, there was a, obviously immediately after the race, you know, we were still, those are still semi pre COVID days. So, you know, we were, there was, there was a good deal of me that was still had eyes on the, um, Olympic trials for the 10 K. Mm -hmm. And obviously I, I benefited kind of nicely from the delay because it gives me a little more time to get ready for it. But that's sort of, that's sort of where I'm at now too, obviously, with Olympic trials coming up in um, about four and a half months now. Um, and so, so yeah, so I, but, but ultimately I, I definitely, you know, definitely was pretty immediately enticed and excited at the prospect of, of having the marathon be something that, you know, and I, obviously marathon marathons don't go well every single time, but that's, you know, that's, that's just running in general. You can't expect every day to be your best day, but to have a good, a good first few experiences was, um, was pretty exciting. And I, 
it really was um really was the kind of thing where I found myself looking forward to continuing to have that be something that I did and um and you know this this fall is looking pretty exciting with all the all the major marathons still on the on the schedule as of this moment so might um might have something else and might end up doing something else this fall too depending on how the next few months go and um and yeah you know it's 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 a it, it's a cool thing to know that um you can, you can continue marathoning pretty pretty uh pretty long in your career and um very much looking forward to a, a decently long career of it. Yeah, and you're still pretty early on in yours, and that's really exciting to know that you've potentially got several more years left to hone your craft. Yeah, no, it's it's yeah, a lot of, a lot of excitement going forward. So, a couple more things before we wrap up this conversation. In the build-up to the marathon project this past December, what were the biggest learnings that you took into that build-up from the Olympic trials that you kept in mind as you were preparing for your second marathon where you ran 209.38? Um, yeah, just definitely even more, you know, just trust trust the strength that you get from the, from the build-up. Um, and, you know, a lot of focus on the fact that as, as strange as it can be for, for marathons that, you know, you'd almost rather be, you don't, you don't want to overdo it in the, in the buildup for your training. Cause sometimes it's, it's more dangerous to, to get to the line feeling tired than to get to the line feeling potentially undertrained. Um, and so, and I, and honestly as well too, it was just, um, it was even more just kind of trust that if we follow a pretty similar um, strategy and approach to training as we did for the trials that we were going to be in a pretty darn good spot. Um, so, so yeah, so it was really just stepping everything up just, you know, a little bit because we knew we, we had the, the wiggle room. We knew that going into trials, we were even a little bit more hesitant about, um, trying to, to, to push sort of what I was doing and training and all that. And then just knowing that you always kind of get coach Fox always says that, you know, after, at least in his career, after every single marathon he ran, he always found that he was, you know, a better runner coming out of it just because of the training, because of the race, because of everything. Um, and so, so knowing that, you know, I had another, sort of 12 months of being a really strong runner at that point going into the marathon project. Um, it just, it gave me a lot of confidence and really just allowed me to, to have that much more faith in sort of what we had done going into the trials as, you know, that, that didn't go away. And, you know, it was with the sort of the right, right approach to training and sort of, a good, good head on our shoulders. We were going to be in a really good spot to at least sort of match the level of success that we had in Atlanta. Kind of a funny question, but coming out of the marathon project where you averaged something like 455 a mile or so, did you ever think back to the fact that that's what you ran for 5k basically coming out of high school and now you're able to do that for 
over two hours and are one of the best in the country? <laughs> oh, oh, absolutely. It definitely are moments where you go, oh, man, I mean, I, shoot, there are moments now where in the first first few weeks getting back into training where you have a little bit of a, that shocking revelation of, you know. How the hell did I do that? <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? It'll be your first, first workout back after uh, – after the marathon, you know, I'm struggling to do four or five miles at 515 pace and go, wait a minute, I did, I ran faster than that for any amount of time, if let alone for, you know, two hours, there's, there's no way I'm going to do that again. Uh, but yeah, no, especially going back to, uh, going back to high school, it is, um, it is, it, yeah, it's, it's pretty, pretty hilarious to think about, you know, sort of the, the, allure of a sub five mile as a as a freshman in high school and and um to know now that was like uh, that you know that was that was the plan for 26 consecutive miles i appreciate you sharing that i think a lot of folks listening to this uh even those of us who have run nowhere near 209 for a marathon i totally can resonate with that so thanks for sharing it yeah a couple quirky central mass questions before we close this one out where is your favorite place to run when you're back home? Ooh, favorite place to run. So I would, I always just ran from my house when I was in Princeton. But since we moved to Worcester now, um, I've been going to the the Rutland Rail Trail um, a good deal. The central, or at least like the the section of the Central Mass Rail Trail that starts over in Rutland. Um, and I think that's great. You know, it's just it's i think it's beautiful out there and obviously it helps being a, a little bit flat um that's always really nice um so that's that as of right now that's my that's my top spot you ever been to the one out in west boylston yes along the quinnipoxit yes that one's got to be that's a close second for sure i've never been out to the rutland one so i'll withhold judgment but i've run i mean probably a thousand miles on the West Boylston Central Mass Rail Trail. And even now living in California, I have access to some amazing, beautiful trails right in my backyard. There is not a more peaceful place in the entire world to run, I don't think. Oh, yeah, it's, it's perfect. It's just about perfect with the the river running right alongside, as you sort of mentioned. It's yeah, it's it, you can't get much better than that. That's for sure. Last question. There are a lot of incredible breakfast spots in central Massachusetts. I often planned my run still do when I go back home to visit my dad around where I'm going to park so I can go get breakfast afterward. Where's your favorite spot to have some pancakes or waffles or whatever your, your preferences for a post run breakfast. Also, uh, yeah, you're absolutely correct. Big, big breakfast guy. And I mean, you can't, you really can't beat, planning a run around what you're going to eat afterwards. So I, I, I love that mentality. Um, I definitely, I mean, I'm, I'm always partial just to my dad cooks a mean batch of pancakes. So that's okay. always, that's always up there. But I will say if I do have a, um, do have a, a, a favorite spot, I've been going to Lou Rock's diner, um, over in West Boylston, um, great spot a good deal more over the last uh over the last few years so that's been that, i think that's probably gonna be my top choice okay that's a good choice next time we're both back home i'd love to hook up for a run we can meet by the old stone church in west boylston and then afterward we'll go to the country kettle right on route 140 and throw down some pancakes love it i love it i think it's a great plan 
Colin, I've loved this conversation. Uh, congratulations on all your success so far. I look forward to following the rest of your career. And thank you so much for coming on the Morning Shakeout podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, Mario. Great talking to you. Thank you so much for listening in to the Morning Shakeout podcast. A big thank you to New Balance for sponsoring this week's episode. I was recently able to get my hands on a pair of the new 1080 V11s, and I was shocked to love them even more than I did last year's V10 model. New Balance claims that the 1080 offers the ultimate ride, and I'd have to agree. This is the best-fitting shoe that I own by a landslide, and the Fresh Foam X cushioning feels super comfortable underneath my feet. It's lightweight and flexible, but also responsive and durable. Basically, the perfect trainer to log most of your miles in, which is exactly what I do. I wear it on most of my non-workout days and for long runs too. So check out the Fresh Foam 1080 V11 on newbalance.com and consider adding a pair to your rotation today. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell a friend about it or throw up a post on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook and encourage your friends and followers to subscribe to the show. You can also leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you're listening to this on, which only takes a minute and it really means a lot to me. A couple more things before we wrap up. I'd like to give a shout out, as always, to my longtime producer, John Summerford, who makes every episode of the podcast sound clear and amazing. Also, thank you to Jeffrey Stern for running the AM Shakeout social media accounts and Chris Douglas for handling sponsorship sales. Last thing, if you are digging this podcast, I think you will love my newsletter. It's also called The Morning Shakeout, and you can subscribe to it at themorningshakeout.com slash subscribe. Every Tuesday morning, you'll get my take on what's happening in the world of running, along with a collection of things that I've been thinking about, reading, and listening to. It's a quick read, five, 10 minutes tops, but it will give you plenty to think about throughout the rest of the week. Again, you can sign up to receive it at themorningshakeout.com slash subscribe. Okay, that's it. I'm Mario Fraioli, and this has been another episode of the Morning Shakeout Podcast. Podcast.